Welcome to New Dimensions with your host, Rev. Nicholas Barrett. Our identities are not labels identifying who we are to others. Rather, they are found in God's riches, His likeness and character. We can discover our true selves and live the way He has intended for us to live. Now, here is Rev. Nicholas Barrett. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm going to say good morning because it is that in Los Angeles, but we're speaking really all over the world. So it could be afternoon and evening, but wherever you are, I really want to thank you so much for making this part of your time. Whether you're going to get the show live, which is live on the Voice American Network, you can get it here this time, which is Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Or you can access any of these shows, including this one, on your iTunes app just by putting in new dimensions. Make sure you put the S in at the end. But I really do it. Without you, this won't be possible. And I really want to thank you for making this a part of your time. We are in in very you know dark times. We're dark times as a country. And I heard a, a very well-known pastor say that on the radio. But I'm looking at this as, as darkness as an opportunity to actually shine light what use would there be for light if we had no darkness so it's it's going to deal with some tough issues this is actually the follow-on to last week's show which was disunity x-rated this one's actually called encore edition i just didn't really have enough time to do some of the things that are important and relevant but i'm hoping with this one to get a little bit more done as with last week's show this can't be the solution, it can be part of the solution that can trigger an awareness in people. Because without an awareness, I'm I'm hearing a lot of, I'm on social media a lot because I really want to get in touch with blacks and whites in America. We're talking about a race issue again, if you're in another part of the world. But I want to get in touch. So I actually have to live it in order to, to really have a, an understanding. I've had understanding for many years in it, but I really want to get current and to see the kind of stuff that's out there. I'm noticing a lot of reactivity in black Americans, which is really to African Americans, I'm going to use that word, which is expected because when when you've been transgressed and and things have been done unjust towards you, the natural reaction is anger. And I'm noticing a lot of vitriol and hatred amongst a small subculture of white society. There's great people in every culture. There's great people in the white culture. You know, I'm white myself. And there is great people in all the cultures. And it's really about black lives need to matter before all lives matter. So all lives do matter, but we need to address the topic. Let's not weaken the top, the purpose down, which is really to make black lives matter. So last week's show didn't cover it. I could again focus on a safe cultural message. You know, that would be good for my pocketbook and maybe build my ministry. But my heart and God are telling me that I need to go countercultural in order to change a culture that has put African-Americans into a framework of something like this. We'll tolerate them. We're superior to them. He looks like a bad guy. You know, all these are narratives, but false ones. They were not born, but developed and nurtured by an incubator for societal bias. So I need to strive to be most effective and prioritize this focus over my other focuses. I had other shows that I would line, have lined up, but I, I, being current and addressing issues that I believe can no longer go unanswered. So what really was happening in the 50s and 60s hasn't really changed. And I will point this out to African-Americans. Protest is a great start. But awareness, raising 
awareness of what's happening to all people, blacks and whites, the psychology, which is the mind behind why it's happening. There's always a reason that creates a, re- a, a behavior in a person. It's always psychological, which has come through conditioning, through molding, through not being educated in this per- in this case, because it's a corrupted education because the real background or the past hasn't been fully made aware. A lot of people are confused. And then a social shift takes place. But that will only happen if if all platforms that have a voice who are presently voiceless continue to voice. I've had a lot of support, a lot of support actually with um, black black people from England, a lot of actually a few famous, very famous ones, and a few here. But it is, it's, we're so used, I think, to having the empathy of this is how it's going to be. And that goes for white and black culture, that how can we change it? Yes, we can, because we have to look upon the things that are not being done, the awareness, the psychology, the mind behind it, and then the social shift, which is education, uh, education, uh, teaching, television shows, community meetings, all of these things. Because remember... People who are racist now have only done it by what they've heard and seen. So it proves and affirms it's a conditioning thing. That can be reconditioned. Um, and really to give you an overview of last week, you know, we have a white subculture with a psyche that's fed by an ingrained belief that black people are somehow lesser and a corrupt narrative that they're bad. I'm doing this for people that didn't listen to last week. I'm not going to spend too long in it because you can go back on iTunes. What this has exponentially contributed is the feeding and sustaining of a corrupt default mode that sustains a subculture within a culture. I mean, really, to cut through the chase, what we ultimately have is white perpetrators, and it's a small amount of racism, venting their brokenness or their broken ethos on a black culture that then walks their entire lives out with a limp. They walk out disadvantaged. So we talked about solutions. We need solutions. Solutions where so much time is being spent at the moment on who's going to win the election. You know, I will support whoever wins the election because as a as a spiritual leader, church leader, I am, that is what we do. We get behind the elected voice, but that's not the solution because if it was the solution, we wouldn't be still having the problem that's never been rectified and it's the same as the 50s and 60s. That's not the solution. It's part, it's platforms, it's people, people with a voice, it's changing we know the things we need to change, the infrastructure, but that will not happen from one man, whoever he is, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. They have their own agendas, and I'm not going to get into politics. They have their own idea as far as international policy, their own idea on health care, but very often don't have the time to deal with the re-educating and re-enlightenment of certain people. And to, this can also create a shift in the police hiring system. All these things can happen. And Really, what, how this affects the black people, and I, I did some research, the adult black African-American population, 20% more likely to report serious psychological distress than adult whites. So adult black African-Americans are more likely to have feelings of sadness and hopelessness, worthlessness and, than they are the, the, with adult whites. This is why this needs to be addressed. It's not only that the lives are being killed sometimes when they shouldn't be, but it's the psychological element that they've lived with. So historical adversity actually proves that slavery and race-based exclusion from certain things like health care, educational, social and economic resources, what that's together is social and economic, it's socioeconomic status 
And that's linked to mental health care, people who are impoverished, homelessness, incarceration for people that shouldn't have been there so long or not at all or have substance abuse problems at a higher risk for, you know, for poor men, mental health. In a nutshell, this last show, this last show last week and today's show and any future show and any future platform, it, it really hinges on two things, culture, to be transformed by the renewing of the mind and two, you reap what you sow. I'm getting, you're coming from all different spectrums. I'm going to keep it not too biblical this time, but I am going to put that as an essence. God knew that living would skew our mind up. And that's really what racism is, because the mind has become conditioned by society. It's a, it's a jacked up mind. On the other hand, reaping what you sow means that we need to acknowledge what was done to African-Americans. It is from all that was done in the past that is now showing up as a problem on, on our doorsteps today. So the racial division and police brutality is what we are reaping from the seeds that we've sown. So we need accountability, two things. We need accountability for the past so that there is a probability for us to heal in our future. And I'll repeat this again. We need accountability for our past so that there is a probability for us to heal in our future. You know, I can set the scene something like this. If we were sitting on a round table, we'd have um, African-American culture maybe on one side that had been victimized. They may have feelings, you know, of anger, thinking it's been like this for so long. So what's the use? It will never change. And on the other side, we have a white culture, subculture that will encompass three types of, of chains of thought. There can only really be three if, if you're in white culture. Those that are perpetrators, either consciously or unconsciously, because I'm going to cover unconscious in a minute, you can be behaving in a limbic way, which is a, an automotive way, a conditioned way. And those in denial or those that are fearful to come forward. Or, and, and also those that are the ones that are cheering me on. A lot of people don't want to discuss uncomfortable things on their show and in their ministries. Look, I understand that we need to be sometimes uncomfortable. Sometimes we need to be like Colin Kaepernick. We need to be the dislike guy in order then to be able to make changes. So the only change really in society, we first need to participate, but also we need to be expectant of a change being possible. If we go into things thinking, having low expectations, that's going to be our result. And that's really what's probably been happening since the 50s and 60s. We become apathetic really by where we have been living. If a pig lives in the mud for so long, he may have conditioned himself to actually like that by, by, by mere default mode because he thinks nothing can be different. So I'm here really to tell you that change is possible. And this is influenced by my faith, spending these hundreds of hours getting these shows ready and really putting my life down for God's calling. If God was not in it, I'd not be speaking to you today because there'd simply be too much of me. I'd be worried about self. I'd be worried about what are they going to think of me? Am I going to get killed? Can I leave the country? All of these things come from really being separated from God's plan and purpose. If the purpose is strong enough in you, then the inconvenience is naught. Basically, if the purpose is strong, and this message really is for somebody, we're having a different type of message than last week. I'm going really off a lot, off a lot of the things I was really planning to say because God's moving me in this. If your purpose is stronger 
it's strong enough and is set in, in your assigned purpose for your life, the inconvenience would no longer be inconvenience. And I'll say one thing more on this. Jesus went on the cross because his purpose was stronger. Three days later, he became greater. That's the same with all of us. We've got to go through the uncomfortability. We've got to really stop fearing what may happen to us and really focus on what we need to do for others. I mean, that's the greatest obstacle is really being stuck in a default mode of never trying. And I can really, I, I look at thousands of posts and so many people, they're just spinning around in this circle of confusion. And really, I call you just to clear the head and really focus. It can be done. So last week, I covered the psychology behind racism. And I'll touch upon it again in the show. I'll elucidate that there is a psychosomatic trail leading up to people wanting to hurt other people. They usually pick on victims that they feel that they will not retaliate back. You know, it could be animals and pets. It could be children. It could be women if they're men. If they've been exposed to racism, in the worst case, it could be shooting an African-American. And if somebody's in the police force and they've been exposed to, not only to anger, and a lot of them have, and they, some of them, not a lot of them, but the percentage, the percentage doesn't need to be a lot to have eight black people shot last weekend. It's a small percentage. We can acknowledge excellence, but we can also be realists. If they've known abuse in their families, they sometimes, and I, I know a few, and And if they pick a job that they have power, the reason why they pick a job to have power, it's like a shift. They don't have power because they've been broken. Their esteem's been broken. Give them the gun and they then have the power. But if that translates to racist exposure as well, like a lot of these killings are happening in areas that I proved last week in the South where there was a lot of racism. And those are areas, I spoke to uh, um, an African-American security guard at the Starbucks where I go. He asked me, what am I doing this morning? And I told him about the show. He said he was in the military about five years ago and he was in Carolina and there was an American flag at a drink stand and they'd refused to sell him a drink. So this is, it's very current, but a lot of us are in denial. And the reason why is we have a joint pain, a joint pain uh, 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 renaissance. We're, we both have this pain body or resonance, as I call it, pain TV. And I'll cover that again. You know, I covered that Hitler and Mussolini and Donald Sterling and Mel Gibson, people a lot of us all know, had a, an extremely abusive past. And all of them, guess what, were racist. Remember, a racist is a racist. The mentality is the same. They just choose to direct it upon whoever or whichever race they think is weaker. So the principle is the same. The nurturing and the incubator and the development of a racist is the same. And there is a psychosomatic pattern. Um, Racism is a cancer that's all sourced at the same well. The common denominator, as I say again, it's against a minority or a race that's victimized, experiences injustice, and then walks around with a limp. We have that in our present-day America, just in a different platform, although the framework remains the same. And I'll repeat this again for, for anybody listening. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on a belief that one's own is superior. That is grounds enough for what we're discussing, racism. So there are many, and I'm going to get on, um, there's a lot of positive behind what I'm doing too. I'm just, I need to be honest, but at the same time, I am positive. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think there was change. There's many good people in this country that are hurting because of racial hatred and discrimination. It's ultimately that passion that seeks to bring somebody else down and then justifies itself by finding a reason to do just that. So 
Really, if a person were whole, they won't need to prove it by causing harm to another person. It's really weak without critical thinking and childhood and environmental exposure that's eluded them that they have a right to treat other people the way them, they themselves would not tolerate. So I'm not going to dwell too much on the psychosomatic, but there was a case that I read about that's very relevant to what we're discussing. And I'll give you some more, an example. It came actually from The Independent in England. It's a very large newspaper in England. And the article was on October the 7th of this year, 2016. A U.S. police officer was found to have sexually assaulted a man with a screwdriver. This one is parental guidance, by the way. While another officer watched is still in his job, a civil court jury decided Chicago police officer, and I'm not going to mention the name, committed the assault while his partner looked on. And the victim really was a 20-year-old black uh, African-American. So a journalist who I actually... Uh, do a lot of Twitter with um, from Black Lives Matter activist Sean King revealed both officers had not been arrested on criminal charges or even sanctioned following an internal police investigation. As a result, neither served time in jail and both had been allowed to keep working, you know, working in the in, in the workforce. So he was awarded damages, but the two Chicago police officers still remain on the force. This was also reported in the New York Daily News on the 6th of October. So again, that is a psychosomatic chain to it. It's people that have had pasts that were exposed to violence or or some kind of um, dysfunction, but then have racist tendencies and pick upon, as we say, not the animal, not the child, but on, in this case, an African-American. So we're going to get off that, but there's a chain to, to this. I'm going to move away from using examples to show you a link now between mental health and brutal racial attacks. It's very important. As from what I've just told you today and from last week's show, it can be affirmed. So I'm going to talk about something that many of us don't discuss or are not even conscious of, and nonetheless a key factor in moving forward in all this. And the subtitle for this really is Others' Perception and Self-Perception. How we see ourselves can be an influencing factor in how others see us. Our history can very much determine how we see ourselves and out of that how others see us. As African-Americans first arrived in the United States as slaves, they were forcibly taken from their families. So their esteem of self is one of oppression. And then the white subculture now thinking there's something better. This is perpetuated by a bias from a primacy effect, which is the psychology of the memory of how things were. That's white primacy. Negativity effect, the mind's association with things that are perceived as lesser or bad and stereotyping. And the stereotyping is is labeling things by societal ways and norms. You know how society's all labeled, first class, economy class, blue cross gold, blue cross platinum. Society labels things and it's very, it influences very much. People will spend $10,000 more to get an extra letter on the back of the car. And the negativity bias is very much reinforcing the story of the bad uh, black American narrative. So, Sadly, and it really is sad, that's how society sees it. Many people have a mind led by the general consensus of these three influencing factors. That is, they follow the general opinion of the media, a general opinion of their friends, and cultural paradigms and patterns. So many people in a white subculture are like this. It's only more aware people that can critically make their own minds up and think and 
there are many of those and you know there are really many of those people too you see how unaware people this can not only impact the way that they see themselves but also the way that they see others so this default mode lives really in both black and white culture but opposing ends of the spectrum the most detrimental is what we're witnessing in our present day white subculture. So the education system has, by covering the past under what you might refer to as a rug, left the white culture to take on beliefs of its great great grandparents, then its grandparents, then its parents, and its so on. So in thinking that African-American culture is something less than theirs. So there's this assumption of badness, something that needs to be tolerated. And they have this thing about tolerance. It was a civil rights thing about, but tolerance is something we do with a cough. It's it's not how all people should be created. And this really messages for somebody from God. I mean, this is the truth. And I covered this in the first show. God shows no favoritism. It's neither slave nor master. It's all people. It's just society has skewed this over a long period of time. This is something that we've, as I said before, we need to have a resolution of the past to have a solution in our present. So there very clearly needs to be an awakening to manage our thinking, to avoid perceptual bias, avoid snap judgments, and practice empathy for the atrocities that we've never really properly dealt with in the United States. So we very often can live in a false state of bliss that is beginning to fall apart at the seams it was stitched. It is only when really people are taught to change the way they see things that the things ultimately they see will begin to change and make a shift. So it's by elucidation that we can then activate in, the, in our present way of thinking. So we need to all remember that our whole country and all of our problems I'm bringing to your attention hinge on one, really on another premise, and that is do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You know, if we lose hope for the potential for transforming people's minds, we may as well jump off the nearest tall building. You know, I'm being 100 with you. This is what this is all about. This is all this can ever be. Transforming minds to transform the police force, to transform education, to transform social media, to transform politics, but to transform on a greater extent a culture you know, of over 330 million people. That is huge and will never achieve 100% transformation. We're always going to have a little bit of a problem. But you know what? Right now, I would take a reduction of even 10% of the problem we've got. And the only way we'll do this is by doing these components that, I, that I've done. I mean, I've done a lot of work on social media during the past, post, uh, post, uh, past few months. And I, really, I wanted to see posts, as I say, from both spectrums. So I read thousands of posts. You know, I spend weeks on this, friends. This is, my, this is really my observation. And I'm going to show you how a mindset can be just led like a dog on a leash. A post can start off something like this, all lives matter, Pastor Nicholas. They'll put something like this. But as I continue in the dialogue with them, we banter from on Twitter backwards and forwards on the messaging thing. The same default mode response comes to, comes to light with each one, almost every time. It goes something like this. Well, they never do as they're told, and they always have a gun when police shoot them. Um, how would that not be? a skewed, corrupt mind. They never do as they're told and police always shoot them. Firstly, African-Americans, I've seen so much, so many videos of unarmed ones and have beaten by sticks, shot 41 times, battered to death with batons. This is denial in speaking. So 
we've, we've all witnessed these videos recently. So I really leave you to make your own decision as to whether some white culture has an implicit or an explicit bias issue. Does anyone still think our culture is functional? The answer is not even close. I mean, that's a fact. And I could give you many of these examples. Some are so with such language that I couldn't use on the show, but really vile or, you know, putrid, just to know that. And they actually believe that they're fighting to believe that story. And I'll, I'll cover that if I have time. I probably won't be able to take a break. I was hoping to rest the marathon for a while. I said that to my show producer earlier on. But the important thing is to get this out there. You know, what's ultimately happened is we're all hurting. Blacks and whites are hurting because of events in our past. You may be saying to yourself something like this. What the heck is he talking about? As I wasn't around when slavery was happening. But let me explain. As I know, that's what a lot of you are thinking right now. When one person hurts another, we all hurt. We hurt individually and then we hurt collectively as a culture. As what we do to another, we also do to ourselves. So we're all born with no previous interactions or experiences. Then as we start to live, we absorb all that's in our society and environment. So what we're experiencing today is the pain of a collective conscience. It's a collective pain, negative pain resonance. So to explain it, really to explain and elucidate it to you like this, our minds are something like a TiVo in that they store both negative and positive thoughts. So in my book, I covered this. I had a book that just came out with an affiliate of random. I'm not promoting the book, but it's called Get Out of Mind Jail. I'm just referencing it. I refer to this as being akin to a bank account with positive thoughts being your deposits and negative thoughts being your withdrawals. The problem is that out of approximately we have 60,000 thoughts a day as as a human individual, 90% of those are repeated with 85% of those being negative. So you see how a default mode can then be biased towards a black culture. The white culture reverts back to its automotive emotionally charged thoughts. That's why although slavery ended with the amendment in 1865, the 13th Amendment, you still have this active pain bank. It's evidenced by what we're seeing today. So very simply, the story is maintained of the, in the white person uh, that's, uh, you know, per- per- perpetrating race. And it's the story that he ha- they have to see this picture. Well, they never do this. They never do that because they're fighting to believe the truth of their story, which, of course, is an el- elucidation. It's a lie. So that's how it maintains itself. Very simply, you can take a bone away from an aggressive Akita, but because it's being conditioned to be aggressive by its previous exposure, it can only be made peaceful through being taught, taught a different way. So in the same way, white subculture can only be transformed by being taught. So racism is thought. So now to move forward as a functional country, it needs to be thought out. So let's talk more. And I'll give you some more information about this negative pain bank. So the the way the mind works is we live out our daily lives by mostly unconscious automotive thoughts through the limbic system. It's a thought pattern. I'm trying to keep this succinct as I don't really have enough time to go off onto this in the show. But if you want to learn more, I have a show from the 20th of April. And the show was called Breaking Free of the Conditioned Mind. And this will give you greater detail into how the mind is conditioned. So the mind lives by a story. And it's fed by our participation in the story. So as we're in our human state, we're programmed a condition to be negative. 
And this is this can be very detrimental for people with racist tendencies as when they see a police killing an unarmed a police officer, killing an unarmed, unarmed black man, immediately their default thinking is to go to their story. And that is what they never do as they're told. They always end up having a gun. So police shoot them. They're always causing trouble. You know, you get you get the picture what I'm trying to bring across. We're trying to desperately fight to keep our story alive because our life becomes in the story. We're born in being, which is created in God. We become jacked up by our story, which is the conditioned mind separated from God. I'm really moving this for you in a way that can be fast to get through all this stuff and so you can understand it. So we're in a conditioned mind, which is the corrupted mind, not the mind we were created with. And we're desperate to feed the story, even when people communicate with each other. Oh, let me tell you about this friend. This is really bad. Or you put news, a news program. How bad is it? And even with our election, again, I'm not going to go into politics, the negative stories from the candidates and how they sustain their negative stories, sometimes probably with things that are not even truthful, but they're desperately fighting to stay alive because they associate themselves not with God, but with their story. I've given you a very brief thing. I could do probably a few hours just based on that. But And I'll give you another example. I think I covered this in my last show. A police officer is a thousand feet up in a helicopter. He can be heard clearly saying, because I've listened to the video and you can access it, oh, he looks like a bad dude. The man's wearing a white T-shirt. His hands are completely up in the air. So how would a helicopter pilot know this if he wasn't living in a story in a prejudice default mode? And in a corrupt way of thinking, again, listeners, I leave you to draw the conclusion. I know the answers to these questions because I've spent 20 years studying the human mind. But I'm, I want to give it to you in a way that you can really draw your own intention. So uh, things, you know, from it, your conclusions. So the need for racists to maintain and feed their story, it leads to anger in the whites that are doing it. And if that mentality is one with a blue uniform and carrying a gun and you're black, African-American, be careful. Suppression and torture passes, you know, from generation to generation. It's a, an acquired thing. It's a thing from conditioning. So an awakening needs to happen before we can see change. I'm going to talk a little bit now about memes. And you may not know what a meme is, so I'm going to give you a brief thing. It's element of culture or a system of behavior that may be considered to be passed from one individual to another by non-genetic means, especially limit, uh, you know, uh, limitations and irritations. So what this really means is, is it's a system of behavior passed on from generation to generation by non-genetic means, which is what we're seeing in our society today. It's yes, you know, 246 years since, well, actually, no, it was, it's 1865. It's about 160 years since slavery ended. But at the same time, we're still seeing it's a society, very simply, society needs to shift its meme. And unity can only come from first participation. And then, as I mentioned earlier on, expectation. We need to participate. We need to activate platforms. But we also need to expect. We need to be expectant of things to change. When I get in my car in the morning and I'm at a red traffic light and the light goes green, I'm expecting other cars to stop. So let's talk about the memes a little bit more. How do political and cultural shifts happen when there are collective memes? Or seem to be. <clears throat> there is there is there a tipping point at which you have enough people changing their thinking that a societal meme actually shifts? I can give you an example of this. And then I'm going to take a really quick break. I think it'd be good for all of us. It wasn't very long ago 
<clears throat> that when you called to make a, a restaurant reservation, you had to decide whether you wanted to sit in a smoking or non-smoking section. It seems really like ancient times, doesn't it? But it wasn't that long ago. It was only about a decade ago. That's a cultural meme that shifted in a positive direction. No one sitting in a restaurant ought to have to breathe in the noxious fumes because of other people decide that they have an addictive habit. But that wasn't the case for many, many decades. There was a tipping point. In other words, enough people began to think that smoking in restaurants was bad. It was unacceptable that it finally became unacceptable. So what we think becomes what it is. This is what we've got to do really with racist junk too. That's how it all started, the same way all things in our society start. All it takes is enough people to do something for long enough that it reaches a point that it then becomes acceptable. In America today, it's acceptable to be a racist cop, a school bus driver, a teacher, a parent, because of our participation. Yes, things are only the way they are, because of our participation. People can cut the crap out and, and just stop participating. But most of us, we sit in the mud long enough until we get comfortable. So African-Americans, you really need to hold your head high because God created you. White subculture really needs to stop living in an old racist mentality. That ended in 1865. You're a, you need to get on your 2016 MacBook program. It's retarded and dated. We need to get with it in 2016. So you see how a meme how it worked with the change in the smoking rules in public. People started to elucidate and talk how it's bad for your health and how it's impacting you. Racism meme can happen in the same way. If platforms that, have a, that are voiceless at the moment have a voice and we can change educational systems, all of these other things can happen simply like the smoking thing happened. People talked about it. It became talked about as being unacceptable. In other words, it was educated as being unacceptable and then it became unacceptable. So now we have no smoking. It's a cultural shift we need, guys. It's a, not a political thing entirely. It's a spiritual thing that we have. We have a spiritual graveyard in many ways, but I'm going to take a quick break. I've got some notes here to look through and I look forward to seeing you in the next segment. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When is the last time you saw sparkles of life in your day? Each day holds a treasure, the extra in the ordinary. It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted. If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own mighty gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you happy in your life or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence, and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice, and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more, and give more. Tune in to A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You 
are tuned in to New Dimensions. To reach Reverend Nicholas or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to nbarrett28 at yahoo.com. Now, back to New Dimensions. Welcome back, friends, after the very short break. I normally take about three breaks in these shows, but this has been really important stuff, but I don't want to overload you with information, but we were leaving it talking about, I'm not going to recap on the beginning what I've been doing in this show so far, because I'd really like you to go back if you've missed something. I don't have enough time and I don't want to compromise any areas that I need to cover. They're all important. But you see how that meme with the no smoking, it was smoking for decades and decades and decades, hundred years of smoking. All of a sudden people were educated and elucidated. And that's what it took to then become what was thought to be unacceptable, was educated to be unacceptable, and now is unacceptable. This is what I mean about the power of platforms. We need to get activated. We really need to activate. I'm hoping to be the match that starts the forest fire. And I've really, I've been sending messages to various large African-American platforms. I know they're listening to the show and I really, my heart's there and I want to be used. And I have a big platform, but some people have mega platforms. So I don't want this to be negative. I want us to really be positive with this and to use this time in our history, a time just like this, as an opportunity to make the changes that our hearts have been hungry for. All people are hungry for change. White Americans, black Ameri- African Americans, they are all hungry for change because we want to live in a society that's unified, which will be strong, which will be peaceful. People will be able to go out. There'll be community. There'll be uh, an, uh, the whole atmosphere will change. We don't need to rely on a politician. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, give, it doesn't really matter who wins. It's platforms, platforms, platforms. That's how the smoking rule started. That's how we can change. So I'm going to get on very quickly with the resolutions. And I'm going to call this a six-pack for change. You know how in, in, in the perfect healthy body is a six-pack for change. But also, let's look at the mind as well. Number one, police reforms. And I'm going to go through these in a second. Two, judicial and penal reforms. Three, education reforms. Four, platforms and discussions. And then five, media and media bias. And then six, community. That's all of you. So let's take a look at police hiring reforms. The videos we've really been able to witness and the world's witness have made visible what I think is was covert and is now being made visible. The reality is that police brutality towards African-Americans has changed little since the 50s and 60s. I've spoken to many older white Americans. They remember them being hosed and really abused. So African-Americans a target practice for a small percentage of police officers that should really not have been hired in the first place. We went over the psychology. The difference is that we can finally all see it. But the problem is the corrupt police officers mess it up for the good ones. And there's always a tension I've noticed between African-Americans and police. Every time they're pulled over, there's this tension. The guys are drawing their guns and I can see them putting their chests out. I've observed this for 20 years of, of being around it. Again, I'm acknowledging the excellence in our police force. We truly have some amazing men and women that I know personally. But there are a number that we've, we've been witnessing now on camera that are a racist, they're hurting people, and they're bent on hurting African-Americans so they can feel better within themselves. This really is the truth. So we need 
to reform the hiring procedure for hiring potential police officers. This can include better background checks, better interviewing and screening processes. There also needs to be regular counseling, in my opinion, and monitoring to make certain they're sound. Just as a car oil is checked before it breaks down, people are the same way. Policing is a tremendously atricious job with a very high stress. They put a lot at stake. And if the hiring procedure can improve, many of the problem police officers won't be in the job in the first place. We need a strong police force, but we need also the corrupt element not to be policed. And I'm going to mention the penal system and judicial system in a minute. So the legal system and judiciary. Police that kill unarmed African-Americans need to face stiff custodial sentencing. There needs to be consequences for their actions. Paid leave and a slap on the wrist is, is no longer acceptable when people have been, unarmed people are being shot and killed. And I'll stress unarmed people. So police must get a paid vacation doesn't do it. There must very simply be consequences. Once there are consequences and it's put in the media, you see how quickly um, things will begin to change with consequences. That's part of the problem. An article I read also uh, on February the 14th in the 2013, it's Wall Street Journal. Prison sentences, again, for black men are nearly 20% longer than those for white men for similar crimes in recent years. So there really needs to be a, a whole shifting through that system to make sure there's equitable sentencing, to make sure that African-Americans and the many of them that shouldn't still be incarcerated are brought back into society, but also rehabilitated, helped back. A lot of them will be suffering from the persecution, generational persecution, persecution for living their lives. But to bring them out of jail and throw them on the streets, I speak to a lot of them, great people. And one of them told me, you know, uh, Nick, he said, the reason why we're more God-fearing is we need God. We, we were, so much was done against us. We were stolen and taken and abused. So we needed God. And that really is part of our problem too. I'm noticing a white subculture. You say hi to them and there's, a, there's an anger and a, an entitlement, but we appeal to the people with light. There's so many people that want change. So many people, believe me, there's more light than dark in this world. But the thing is a lot of people are scared to come forward. And I'm convinced we're all sourced at the same well. We all come from one source. I'm convinced that if we can really encourage people, that there can be a change. Also, part of the six-pack, educational. School reforms. We need to reform the curriculum. Very clearly, we need to broaden what is considered important to impart to students. And so that the fault history isn't really an Af a white, all-American male one, which is reflected then in our racially biased policing, violent hate crimes, and the absurd resistance of bringing down the Confederation flag. It really isn't taught properly. I've spoken to some university lecturers, and they've, they've told me that, you know, when they went to school, they were taught a pro pro-white fake history, really championing Columbus. He said he felt like that he was supposed to be guilty. One guy told me, but as a result, but teachers told him they don't want to go into details. Just act like, we're, like we were all extinct. So that really needs to change. There needs to be an educational syllabus that can enlighten and elucidate people as to what happened. So that can bring empathy for a new generation of white culture. It starts really with the with the youth in many ways, because sometimes the older people in our society, their their minds are so set they'll be harder to change. But concerns me with some of the things that have been exposed to the youth. I don't have time to go into this. Some biased talk really from teachers 
and, and pupils, just awful stuff going on in the social media. And all of this, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it because I really needed to get to talk with any kind of purpose and to talk with any kind of hope of changing things. I had to know all of this. I had to really get in, in, the, tre- in the trenches, so to speak. So medium platforms. So there needs to be really less biased coverage. And much of it today has that narrative. News media is constantly trying to affirm that, no, the African-American was at fault. The police are doing a great job. I see this all the time. Even sentencing cases, people purport that they were deafened for a second and then they shot anyway when they have a whole entourage of police officers, you know, a dozen police officers with guns and a helicopter and they're so stressed they need to shoot somebody with their hands up in the air. So really, the media is very biased and and they really have, this needs to stop. Media needs to also enlighten and elucidate. There's no place really for biased media. So this syndrome is, is... Purported by the media, African American at fault, poor police victim syndrome. It's it's evident. I'm not. I'm being really 100% with you. Nothing much has changed really from the 50s and 60s. Platforms need to speak up. I've started it. So guys, you know you need to follow. Society can only be transformed. Remember by what people see or hear. Right now, there's a lot of anger, but in action. And also in action by voiceless platforms. Anger guys will not get it done because in actual fact that feeds the meme of the racist more because then he can say, look, they're angry, they're aggressive. I mean, uh, the most we can do is tolerate them. No, we want acceptance and we also want respect. I mean, those things will not come from disturbances. They'll come from platforms with a voice, all platforms from all races. I really will repeat this, all platforms from all races. Also coming back to uh, healthcare, I, I read a survey by the US Health Services Association that the African American population, they're 20% more likely to report serious psychological stress. And I think we read this earlier on too, but I wanna affirm it to you. It's a report that I'm looking at. We need to really do that because the history has brought about a lot of these things. But I wanna, almost coming to an end, but I want to again reaffirm this good news for you. Should And again, it was in the first show, but I'm going to do it again because it's very relevant to what we're discussing now. And I think it's a good way to <clears throat> almost end this show on this note. Should the U.S., should America pay reparations for slavery? The U.N.-appointed experts think so. This was by Pamela Fork from CBS News. September 27th, 2016. So this is very current. This is very current. When I believe when society moves, you know, Colin Kaepernick took that risk, but at the same time, that could have been a God-appointed risk. And I'm believing it was because he risked his life to do something, to enlighten people, to bring to the attention of things that have been covered up. We need to, to do this. And I've done this too. So it is, it's a, a movement. And, and in times of turbulence, if you look at biblical turbulence, that's when God always moves. It's a shift. Prepare the way. It's a shift. So a United Nations working group is getting into the fray on the American racial discrimination and racial tension we're having here. So after 14 years and 20 days of speaking with U.S. officials, Activists and families of people killed by police in major American cities, and those are the cities that are most affected by slavery in the past, it's issued their conclusions. And the conclusion really is this, African-American. The slave trade was a crime against humanity, and the United States government should pay reparations. They feel that American 
African-Americans indeed made such a significant contribution to building the United States that should have reparations paid to them. And I honestly believe that if labor and workforce has contributed, then we're all we've all benefited from that. We should all benefit from that, too. So. Again, they, they also went into this contemporary police killings and the trauma it creates are reminiscent of the racial uh, terror lynching in the past. A French member of the working group of UN experts said after the meeting, so this is all founded. They, the UN experts, they traveled to different cities. I think it was, if I remember, it was Washington, Jackson, Baltimore, Mississippi, Chicago, Carolina, New York City. Where they, a lot of the South, where they had really a lot of the um, slavery, but there is a correlation between where it happened and where the most racism racism is. I live in Los Angeles here, and people are much more open. It's not great, perfect. It needs changing too, but they're a lot more open to um, African-American culture. And I speak to many, many, many people every day. It's really the us-them prob- problem. That's really the real problem facing us today, us and them. And that encompasses all these divides we've been discussing. And then, you know, all lives will matter only once black lives matter. We can't dilute the urgency of the problem we need to solve. We need to solve the past, as I say, to solve the present. And that is going back in time making good what was done, and that in effect will relieve the pain pain resonance or pain body of the past in terms of white culture, because when things are resolved, there is forgiveness and things that have been denied become aired and airing is healthy. When we keep things covered in any relationship, it, it's, it's unhealthy to do that. You're forcibly keeping something uncovered, but the conscience is still there because that conscience is passed on from generation to generation. And the proof is if it wasn't passed on, we still wouldn't be having these atrocities towards African-Americans. I mean, the, 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 the truth is everything is affirmed. Provided we go in with an open mind, we can see all of these things happening. All of these things are, are very real. So we need to really have reconciliation. We need to have education. We need to have media. We need to have, but the platforms really are the key. So I'm really pleading to anybody who jo- wants to join me. There are some, I know, large platforms listening to this. This, again, is a prototype, but I would speak publicly a very different way. It would be more fiery, but I'm on a podcast, international podcast here, but I have a lot of passion. I've invested really my life in doing this. And my Jamaican friend from 30 years ago, when I met him in England in a bodybuilding gym said, you know, Nick, people, when you first came to our gym, I was the only white guy there. They dealt with you with with, with gloves and then they realized, wow, they called me the male version of Lady Diana. You're colorless and classless. And I've always had that. So I knew God would pick me. I, I did, you know, voice training many, many years ago, thinking it would be for action movies. And then I went into nutrition and now for the last 15 years, really focusing on book writing and psychology. But there's a plan, there's a trail to all of us. And there's something great inside of you. There's a trail that will lead us. And I'm believing this trail of attrition Just as I said, gold is perfected through heat, diamonds through attrition, people through what we're going through. We're really in a spiritual battle here. This is spiritual warfare in America. It's not political. It's not Hillary or Trump. Look, I will back whoever supports government because that's really what I'm obliged to do as a leader is to support it. But I know they're not the answer. And I'll repeat that. We are. And I'm hoping, as a saint, have planted these seeds 
you know, I'm available to travel and speak. You know, I have a heart. And, and as I say, if you have a platform, let's start this discussion. You know, I've given all I can. I may do other episodes um, again on this. This really is just to start the discussion. I've given you more more information today about how we can change the story of the racist, how we can change societal memes, which is how we change the what was unacceptable became unacceptable, which was the smoking. That's how we can do with racism because it's very very important. We're dealing with the human mind, the renewal of the mind, which is important. Otherwise, nothing can happen. There's no change. This is a mind thing. Reaping what we sow. So we need to go back to what we've reaped, which is the slavery, uncover that, resolve that, have reconciliation over that, have reparations made to people affected by it, have better health care, care for the people who are shall we say, depressed or mentally challenged because they'd, they'd been in, in, in slavery in their time or in their families. All of this can be changed, but we're inactive. We're very much, we're modernistic in our terms of technology, but primitive in, in our terms of societal um, conditioning and consciousness. We need a, a raise, a, a completely a, a, an awakening, an awakening, a rising consciousness, a revival of people, you know, I'm going to put an end to this one. It's been really great sharing this with you. I've gone on in many different ways. I plan to say other things in this show, but always it's coming from the spirit. But bottom line is, you know, I love you. If you're a white racist listening to this, you know, I forgive you and love you too, because very often you're a product of your environment. And please, African-Americans, realize this. Very often they're doing it unconsciously through the things I discussed African-Americans, I love you too. You are really great. You are a godly people because you've needed to be to survive this. And I speak to thousands of you face-to-face, have lots of friends. And really, the, the light in there, the way they tr- transform when I talk to them, that there is hope and courage because a lot of them are hopeless. They're living in, in, in this for so long. And very few white people, to be honest, speak um, in terms of these uncomfortable areas. And I, I go right in there. I'm, you know, as I say, if your purpose is a God purpose, gone is the uncomfortable. If his son goes through crucifixion, then you know what? We can get strength from that too. And that really is it, is having a conviction and a heart for people. Um, love you much. God loves you more. Let's chat. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. As I say, I'm available to travel around the country, schools, colleges, churches, wherever to get this out. This is my cause. I financed the ministry for five years. I put well over seven figures, well over seven figures into this ministry in five years. And really, it's about preparation for this due season. God bless you. Love you much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of New Dimensions. Please join Reverend Nicholas Barrett again next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a blessed week.